Hello, babes and trolls, kids and queers. Welcome to Millenniagram, the Enneagram podcast your pastor definitely won't be recommending. Together, we are here to learn a little self-deprecation, a little integration, and together, dig ourselves out of our goddamn ditches. Let's get into it. All right, what's up, party people? It's Millenniagram, episode three. I am Garbage Oprah, a.k.a. Hannah Posh, here with my wonderful, glorious Millenniagram substitute teacher, Hannah Schaefer-Evans. What's up, Hannah? Hey, how's it going? (laughs) So glad that you're here again today. (laughs) Um, Just so y'all know, I'm probably going to be referring to her as Schaefer from here on out because there's too many Hannahs, and that is my name for her, so just deal. Um, Today we are talking about ones which Hannah is one, and I'm so freaking stoked. Um, Hannah, are you ready for this? I'm pretty hype about it, not going (laughs) to lie. pretty hype? I've been talking up this thing on Twitter with people who are like, I've already learned so much, and I'm like, just wait until it's your turn. You haven't met education yet. You don't even (laughs) know how schooled you're going to be. Exactly. There are so many ones on Twitter. Can you even believe? Like, they are up in my mentions. It's amazing. There were none of them until this podcast started. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the number of ones on Twitter tripled. (laughs) They were just just found us. This has really been the year of the one discovery for me because I got to be honest, like, when I started Millenniagram, I could not even think of one that I knew. Like, there were no ones in my direct vicinity. And I was kind of like, they sound awful. Um, so sorry. <laughs> but I know better now. Um, so I'm really stoked about this today. Um, let's talk a little about this week in Millenniagram. Um, tell us about all the Enneagram-related things that have happened to you in your life super casually, Shafe. My own life. Yeah, um, well, or, I you got, know, the internet. I got roasted by somebody on Twitter today who was talking about how they made their um, partner, who's a nine, listen to the nine <laughs> episode. And, it, and then it opened with talking about how not to steamroll nines. And I was like, wow, called out. Like, I get it. So I, I steamroll Logan. But, like, why you gotta, why you got to call me out about it, you know? <laughs> Why you gotta do that? Why you gotta make a girl feel bad? (laughs) Yeah, so I mean that was a pretty good I it really gave me some uh some moments of reflection (laughs) brief. I really like listening back on that episode, it really like obviously I was so in the moment we were having that conversation, but it was so good for me to remember just how much um nines really like to have that processing time and it made me feel awful for making Anna answer all of those questions in real time (laughs) um bless her heart um but it was it was really it was really helpful for me to think about the nines that I love and how expecting immediate responses from them about difficult stuff is usually not um Mm -hmm. it's just it's not a sustainable thing um and it's not really even very helpful to expect that. So that was a really good like takeaway for me from the episode. Um, what did you think listening back? I thought Anna had a lot of presence when I'm like, I, like I listened to it 
and was like, she is so self-possessed and she just sounded very, very, I don't know, integrated, I guess. Like, like I was, was amazed. I was amazed yeah. when I found out that she was a nine because yes. I had heard her preach on stage and she has this like, this very like healthy three-ish presence where you're just like, wherever you lead, I will follow. <laughs> Whatever, wh- like Pied Piper me right the fuck out of here. Like I will do what you command. Um, and so when I found out that she was a nine, I was like, dang, there's a lot more going on under the surface than, than meets the eye. Um, so yeah, I, hopefully you will get to meet her someday cause she's amazing. Um, yeah, I think I'm I- really excited about this. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I think that it reminded me again that numbers are ultimately more about motive than they are about behavior. And Dude, I- Dude, th- so real. And people I think- always- mm. Yeah. <laughs> people are always trying to type each other off of behavior and I'm like, boo, that is not why we Enneagram, okay? And also why I probably need to stop typing people in TV shows. <laughs> I, I was just thinking about that the other day. Whoops. Um I think that someday we should have an entire episode just dedicated to Enneagram pet peeves because a big one of mine oh, is when people try and type Donald Trump and I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, this is not constructive. It's not helping you, boo. Like, move on. Like, nobody cares. It doesn't really matter. He's pathological no matter what number he is. So, like, move on <laughs> you're not gonna like understand him no better. it's not gonna he's no. never gonna make sense <laughs> no literally just fight him it's fine <laughs> um i am going to introduce our guest early because we are going to have him chime in on our question submissions for this week in dear garbage oprah um i am so excited to have this person here because he is um basically the force that makes this entire podcast work. His name is Corey Pig. He's kind of a badass. Corey, what's up? How's it going? I'm so glad that you're here today. And I hope that you brought your full drama queen action up in here today. (laughs) We're going to try. See what happens. (laughs) There's nobody who works the petty better than Corey. And like you would not know based on his presence (laughs) on the internet because he's so like... (laughs) He's so sweet and like gentle and calculated in the way that he responds to people. Like he's so self-controlled, but like, no, I am really not. You didn't see my tweets today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so excited. There was a troll that came after Jamie. There was a troll that came after Jamie and I just drug it back to its bridge. (laughs) (laughs) I did see that. I did. And I was both impressed and surprised. I felt bad. I mean, I don't feel bad, but like, I just have this thing about me that I'm like, man, I should really treat humans better than that. But, you know. (laughs) I'm sorry. Trolls on Twitter are debatably human. I mean. Hey, I I do want to go back, though. You guys were talking about your previous episodes. I just want to quickly say I've been really shocked at the amount of attention it's getting on Twitter every day or every time we have a new episode released, like for the eights and then for the nines. Mm -hmm. I'm so shocked at the level of engagement that I see it getting on Twitter. Oh, I love it. It makes me so excited. <laughs> Shape is like retweet, retweet. I retweet, retweet. everything. <laughs> That's awesome. I- <laughs> no, I, I live for the enthusiasm. It's so good. Yeah. Um, let's look at our questions that we have. We actually have two questions for Dear Garbage Oprah. So 
Um, bear with me. Um, but I really liked both. So the first question comes from Jane on Twitter. Jane asks, what is your favorite thing about being a one? What is the thing you bond with about most with other ones? Y'all can chat about this. What are some key differences between one wing two and one wing nine? Shafe, take it away. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay, what was – so the first one was what do you like about being a one? What is your favorite thing your about being a one? Your favorite thing, okay. Um, I, I guess I would say that I really love having such an inner drive to actually do things. Um, like – I love to think, I love to talk with people about things, but at the end of the day, I want to be doing something with it. And mm. I think that, that we are, we're in a time when we need doers. And I feel really satisfied with the ways that I've met that challenge in my life in emerging adulthood. Um, and so I think a lot of that has to do with my personality and being a one. I love that. You've got that right action on lock. Um, what about you, Corey? <laughs> What's your favorite thing? God, it, I didn't choose it. It chose me. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I always joke and say, like, if people ask my wing, I usually just say I'm a one wing one. <laughs> or I usually say that I'm a one to a fault. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think being a one is the best number. <laughs> And it's a, ble- <laughs> it's a blessing <laughs> and a privilege, but it's really also, a, but it's also a curse. Uh, yeah. And it's this ten- constant tension of holding your blessings and your curses at the same time. And um, like it's so that. hard to say something I, you like about yourself, isn't it, Corey? <laughs> it is. I want to like, like really quickly, like we won't run through every number, but um, there is a, uh, a, an Enneagram like questionnaire thing that somebody taught me, a friend of mine, he went to an Enneagram conference with Chris Hewitts. Oh, yeah. Is that how you say his last name? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think think so. so. And there's questions for every number, and this leads into this thing, so I'm not going to get off track. But the question for the one, basically there's a question, and if if the person can't answer the question, then you just say thank you, and you repeat the question, and you do that cycle until they're able to answer the question. Oh, God. And when he did this (laughs) – when he did this, when he did Jesus. this to me, I got so pissed. I got so pissed off because I didn't know what he was doing, and it was <laughs> targeting the the core of a one. And so the question for a one is, what is beautiful about your flaws? Ooh. And I got, got so mad because I couldn't <laughs> answer the question. Um, I'm just imagining yeah. you being so confronted stressful. with that question. <laughs> So Hannah, let, pa, pa, Hannah Posh, let's at, we'll go with your number real quick. What is missing in your life? What is missing in my life? What is missing in my life? Um, balance. Damn it! How did you answer that so quick? <laughs> okay. I'm anyway, always so about myself, Corey. Always. No. I'm okay. never not well introspecting. Okay. Well. Enough about you fours. Um, <laughs> what I love about being a one, I, I really love being detail oriented. Even though it is a curse sometimes, there's I really find a lot of satisfaction in the details, and um, I love I genuinely love that I am detail oriented. 
Mm. Mm. I like that about you too. It's the only way this podcast happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is the thing that either of you bond with about most with other ones? So like how did y'all – yeah, what have we bonded about, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I love about ones. Um, Hannah texted me the other day, oh, yeah. Hannah Shafe, for you listeners, and because um, you can't see us. We can't see each other, actually. Um, and she came to me asking me for advice or how I handle things as uh, in like a certain situation. And this is so common among my other one friends. I've noticed that I'll pick up the phone. I'll hit up Hannah. I'll hit up Mickey, uh, Scott Bay Jones. Uh, I'll hit. I'll hit up my friend Brad. Like all these ones, because there's such a common bond between us that it's like, you know how my brain is wired. You know mm-hmm. how like mm-hmm. there's just a there's. I haven't met a one. Let me tell you real quick. Us ones, we're so damn serious. And um, I've never met a one who's not a serious person through and through. Mm. And so (laughs) it's like if you pick up the phone and text a one, it's just going to be a good conversation. There's, It's just never not. Like they're never going to like, they're never going to like blow you off or not give you like a solid answer. No, there's like no, because like us like I'm like Suzanne Stabile, who's become kind of like the god of this show. Um, <laughs> she is. We invoke her name at all times. She actually says that um, ones are the hardest. No, uh, they're the harshest number on the enneagram, like internally. And I know that people like there's people with other numbers that are, they're quick to say I have the voices in my head too. Like, but it's kind of like well you you do, but you don't have it to the same degree that ones do, and. The ones are so debilitating, like the inner critic. And so when you talk to another one, especially trying to get advice on stressful situations, it, there's such a common interest or a common bond that's there that it's not shared with any other number. So um, I love talking to other ones. Like I, they, I've never met another one that annoys me. Wow. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that makes me. That makes me feel so happy about being a one, though. <laughs> How do you feel about meeting other ones, Shafe? Um, it's a mixed bag. So, <clears throat> um, I've met some ones where, like with Corey, where I've been like, "Wow, like we get along really well. Like we like kind of understand where we're where the other person is coming from. Like there's a lot of like shared like understanding in like." I don't know, the ability to kind of laugh at it at the same time, which I appreciate. Um, I think the thing that I struggle with is ones that aren't willing to be self-aware. So my dad is a one and I've known like several other ones where um, like there have been seasons in my life where I tried to go to them and be like, you're like me. You understand, even though I didn't have language for the Enneagram at the time. And then they were like, no, I can't converse about this. I can't think about this. I can't go to that place. And so like, and so there's a kind of like lashing out defensive of like, get away. Don't talk about that with me. I don't want to talk about that. And so um, there have been some ones in my life. What do you life- think that stems from? It's defensive. Do you think it's, think it's- yeah. Probably probably um, see me coming to them with something I'm struggling with and in my assumption that we share that made them feel defensive mm. that I was criticizing them um, for something that they were doing. And so – uh, also, I do think that 
Like it is a process to learn to see parts of ourselves without losing our shit over them. So uh, when I develop a new self-revelation about something that I'm not doing very well, I go through a phase where I'm literally like hyperventilating emotionally about it. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, the world's falling (laughs) apart. Oh my God, I'm killing people. Like (laughs) there is very much, there's very much this like catastrophic ledge that I have to talk myself off of post the realization about myself. Mm. And for people that aren't as far along in those self-realizations, it's like meeting, it's like pushing them to the peak and then they panic about it. Um, And so, Mm. and so that fight or flight instinct kind of kicks in and, um, and then they're fighting you because they don't want to fall off the cliff. So, uh, so I think that it's yeah, it's been mixed. There are some there are some ones where I've really bonded with, and then there are others that um, I just haven't as much. Mainly because of different places that we're at in our process. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, so I'm actually gonna save the next question because I think it'll play into our conversation really well. Um, so I'm actually I'm gonna turn this over to Corey because I want to hear about your journey with the Enneagram, Corey, how you discovered that you were a one and your initial feelings about that. Sure. So I didn't, uh, I'm a newbie to the Enneagram. Uh, I started working for the liturgist when they started their season three and um, they had told me that we were starting the season with the Enneagram. I didn't even know what that was. Um, <laughs> And um, at that time, I was still recovering from, uh, so I was a missionary for six years, and at the tail end of that, I was uh, a victim of cult abuse, Mm. and so um, I dealt with a lot of suicidal ideation um, just because of that rough transition out of cult life and into the life after, and uh, when I found the Enneagram, it was a tool that really saved my life and helped me ground myself and Mm. helped me move forward and helped me really understand myself in a way that was life-giving and not uh, detrimental to my uh, psychological Mm. health. Absolutely. Wow, I didn't realize that it was kind of a new discovery for you. Interesting. I mean, 2016 is when I – so, yeah – So um, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, looking back on, you know, your experience in um, missions and, you know, kind of going through that whole scenario, which, by the way, everyone should listen to Failed Missionary, which is Corey's podcast (laughs) about missions. Um, It is super enlightening and like life-giving, um, especially for somebody like me. I mean, we've all been on a short-term missions trip, right? Like if you've grown up anywhere near the church, you've been on one, you've built a house in Mexico on a weekend, you know, but like, um, so I super recommend that. Um, but Corey, if you could tell me a little bit about like where, um, where being a one kind of figured in your, life, both in missions and now afterwards? Like, how does that come out for you? Sure. 
I kind of I kind of want to start way before missions because it play it totally. all kind of plays into everything. Yeah. I think the, the enneagram works like that. So nice. as a child, the uh, unconscious childhood message for a one is that it's not okay to make mistakes. Mm. And at the same time, the, the like the lost childhood message for a one is you are good. That's like what we don't hear right. typically as children. Um, and so I grew up, and so this is really interesting. In the development of a one, it typically comes from uh, them experiencing a sense of being disconnected from a protective figure, which is usually a father figure, but mm-hmm. it's not always, obviously. Sure. Um, and then if if that protective figure is not adequately fulfilling his or their role, uh, the young the the young one, their sense of they sense a fundamental disconnection, and that's something that usually isn't quite fixed. Mm. Um, so I, I went through my childhood as an unhealthy four, but obviously still a one. Like my parents were so by the book. I mean, like I was scared to come home with an A minus. Wow. Uh, like if I, uh, if I came home with an A minus, I knew I'd hear it. And um, my dad was such a top level, like kind of he, he was like an upper level management in a hospital, but he was very strict and very by the book. Um, and I, re- I remember also my mom, like she's a six by the way, but she would always tell me like, if I wanted to quit something, like she'd be like, you can't quit. We're not quitters in this family. You're not a quitter, <laughs> you know? And that, w- um, but so, um, you know, as a one, like our main objective is we want to do the right thing and we want to, you know, make the world a better place, I guess. And for me, I found God in high school and God at the time became this interventionist being that kind of replaced the role of my dad, mm-hmm. which is what that culture taught. Um, and so I was so encapsulated by it that I knew I wanted to give my whole life to ministry and missions. And so mm-hmm. instead of going to university, I threw all that down the drain and chose to become a missionary. And uh, for six years I did that. And um at the time, like, again, I didn't know the Enneagram and all of this stuff, but at the time, uh, I guess my whole entire career, like I gave my life to something that I thought would be life-giving. And what I gave myself to was like this insane world where I spent my entire time being like, well, this could be better. That could be better. <laughs> like I, didn't, I never even focused on the mission. I was just like focusing oh on all God, the flaws and the nonprofits. The <laughs> and, um, it was a really like vicious cycle to be honest, because like I was always like, and especially in evangelical Christian culture, like they hate the honest people. <laughs> and I would, I was Tell always it. the person that would walk in. And I'm serious. Like I was always the person that would walk in to the meeting and be like, I'm so displeased by this method, <laughs> that method, like how this is ran, how that's ran. Um, I don't feel like we're doing as good as we could be here. We're not even doing what we're telling our supporters we're doing. Oh, yeah. I find like I would always that's ad- real shit. I was always <laughs> yeah, and I was always the one to address the integrity issues, which they really oh, yeah. don't like. Um, and there was something about being a one, like in that environment, where my job slowly moved from like reforming or perfecting to. I'm just cleaning up after all of these people's carelessness and their recklessness. <laughs> and obviously us ones are already prone to resentment issues. Mm. So you can imagine like I pretty much spent a lot of the latter part of my missionary career in resentment mode. Um, 
And then, so, you know, maybe even picking up a lot of that unhealth in four. Uh, so like I said, after significant trauma and realizing the bad situation that I had put myself in, um, well, let me kind of stop there and kind of use this as, as a pivot point. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned like how wands are formed with that protective figure. And then I mentioned interacting with this God being that I thought was an interventionist, like, you know, caring figure. Um, when I was going through significant trauma, my past, my then pastor sent me a Buddhist parable that really killed all of that for me in an instant. Um, it was just like, and the parable, the parable was only addressing grief. Um, it had nothing to do with religion or spirituality or any of that. Um, but there was something to learning a lesson in grief that instantly killed the interventionist, God, the idea of interventionist God for me. I, um, and oh. that was such a traumatic thing that I probably went from like the peak of a seven to the depth of a four. And, <laughs> and inst- I mean, it was rough. Yeah. Um, I had no language for it. Like back then, like I wasn't, I didn't know about the Enneagram. Um, but so crashing and burning out of missions and crashing and burning out of this interventionist God, out of this lifestyle of calling and purpose uh, and dealing with suicidal ideation and dealing with deep depression and grief and resentment. Um, it was the, any, this is where the Enneagram came into play about understanding my childhood, those childhood messages, understanding like my, the way I view the world, understanding how I care for how I need to care for myself. Um, and yeah, I mean the, I'm talking in circles now, but the Enneagram, that's where it saved my life was giving me a deeper understanding of myself. It was kind of honestly in a cheesy way. It was kind of like an owner's manual of sorts. <laughs> no, um, I totally which, feel that. Which we can, we can get into one of my points if you want to right to. now, but I don't know if you. Um, Corey literally made me a talking <laughs> list to go off of so that I would stay on track. Thanks so much, Corey. You fucking won. Um Okay. I, I love that your very no, no, your very first point on this list is grieving emotions and handling them <laughs> with care. Like, okay, well, let's just get into it then. Ones are just super but like, no, I, 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 okay, well. and fun. <laughs> <laughs> so we like to that's start the first with thing I think grief of. because that's <laughs> naturally <laughs> the most. because of course, yeah. Um. Well, I am super excited to hear two ones talk about this. Um, Shafe has been labeled a bit of the uh, emotions jock, which is amazing <laughs> because she's like learned how to be very good at emotions um, and to do them correctly oh my God. as a one should. Um, <laughs> this, this description is stressing me no. out. <laughs> Listen, I love it. I love it. Um, but. Yeah, tell me a little bit about um, tell me a little bit about what that process looked like for you, Corey. Learning to come to terms with your grief. I mean, like you mentioned, the whole idea of an interventionist God, like that God, really gives us a lot of purpose. And then when that is taken away, um, that is definitely cause for grief. Um, so, tell me a little bit about how that worked for you. 
Well, I wrote down grieving because I don't, it doesn't, irregardless of your number, especially in our culture, we're not taught grieving well and how to handle that. Um, but for a one, and I would love to hear Shafe's thoughts on this, mm. but as a one, we're already prone to resentment. Uh, that is kind of our inner fire. And for a one that experiences a lot of trauma, it, like, so like when, when your worldview is perfection, reform, reformation, um, and you have like this tsunami of carelessness and foolishness of people around you uh, that kind of takes over your life. <laughs> I love how Hannah thinks <laughs> right. that's funny. There's a- <laughs> Hannah's I know. looking that, up right now. There's, <laughs> there's not only grieving for like the things that happen, like for a one, for, I mean, me, I can only speak for me. I, I'm again, interested in Hannah, but for me, there's not only the grieving of like, the loss of what gave you purpose, but there's also, uh, so I wrote down grieving like inward and outward or that's resentment, but like the inward and outward cycles of all this stuff, like there's the grieving of like the external things, but there's also the grieving of the internal things. And by the internal things, it's not only like, do we constantly think that we fucked up with something, but, um, we, uh, for me, like there was times where in my right thinking or my right doing, I pretty much tore people up and down. Mm. A, like it, 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 it wasn't good. And so there's the grieving of like how you treat people, how you treat situations. Mm. And so, and, and it's like an inward, inward, downward spiral of grief and resentment. And um, so kind of getting into that next point, but I'm not going to like totally derail this whole thing. <laughs> is um, the people, I see it all the time, and this might be a one thing to say, but people abuse the Enneagram and they use it typically (laughs) as a license to stay stuck in their unhealthy thought patterns or behavioral patterns instead of using it for what it really is, which is a tool to return to essence. And um, Mm, Corey, you're preaching. And grieving (laughs) and negative emotions and cycles of resentment um, the Enneagram when used well for a one will lead you to serenity. It will lead you to peace, but, um, it's a turbulent road. <laughs> so, <laughs> And usually not like a straight one either. Like there's a little bit of two steps forward, one step back kind of deal. Um, Shay- yeah, like, and I, I want, wait, I want to, I do want to hear her things, but like, just to get really personal here, like I, this is something that never like, even for me, somebody that has went through extensive therapy and EMDR and all of these all other the therapy techniques, yeah. um, for a one, like I'm writing a memoir right now, and I'm also working on a show that I happen to make a joke out of. Like I, I titled the show "Failed Missionary." That was a sarcastic play on like I got into a shit show and failed, um, but. <laughs> I am constantly revisiting pain on both mm-hmm. of those projects. And mm-hmm. I have to take time out for myself because even though I've went through extensive therapy, even though I've went through EMDR, even though like I don't hold grudges with people that caused me considerable harm, that doesn't stop the fires of resentment. Um, and I will burn somebody's house down instantly if I think yeah. about it too much. Um, so... I, I love um, 
your hypothetical burning of people's houses down. Just text them to me always forever. Hannah, tell me if I'm wrong, but like when ones go to four and unhealth, like I'm kind of like, I'll burn your house down with you (laughs) in it and I'll watch. (laughs) Oh, the drama. (laughs) I will. But a, but a, but a one and seven, I'll like I'll be like I'll max out all of my credit cards for you. Let's like go and do all the things, and then I'll grieve that decision. And he'll grieve that later. <laughs> Interesting. I I don't I don't think I can say that I've ever experienced those intense extremes, but uh, I will say that your level of like petty and drama has given me something to aspire to, and. Uh, I definitely look to like get more comfortable with my own drama because I think so I have a very heavy a very (laughs) heavy nine wing which we've talked about and so I have a very hard time with Mm. any extreme of any kind and so and I have spent most of my life minimizing any level of drama in my own personality because drama was bad and people don't take dramatic women seriously and so I kind of tried to like stifle that and I don't know, just like having Corey like lean into it with this like complete enthusiasm. Like I, like I don't, I don't want to actually deep throw a curling iron, but like I want to be able to say that I want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! That was my favorite one from this week of Corey's like oh. retributive petty. I still think about it. it. Blessed me deeply. I got that. <laughs> Daily, daily. All of my enemies. I got that from uh, Tina Fey. All of my enemies deep throating curling irons. (laughs) I got it from Tina Fey. Oh my gosh. Um, Shafe, not to turn you into the guest too much here, but I would love to hear how you, um, as a one, sort of uh, turned into the emotions job (laughs) that you are today. (laughs) Um, anyone can be an emotions jock with therapy. (laughs) So uh, I will preface that it's not, it's, it's a, it's a therapy tools thing. It's not a one personality thing necessarily. Um, my, my experiences are similar to Corey's, but also very different. I grew up in a household that was more or less like fairly apathetic about my own personal achievements. Um, I wouldn't say that they are now, but it was always kind of a reluctant, like, well, if she's going to, like, write this book, I guess we have to read it. Or, oh, if she's, like, you know, it was never really, like, um, it wasn't, it didn't feel, like, like uh, materially high stakes, but it was very high stakes as far as, like, personality. Um, I remember a lot of conversations with my mom where she was, like, you know, you need to be a role model for your friends. Um, you need to set an example for people. Mm. Yeah, I heard that in youth group like my whole life. My yeah. my quote unquote uh, personal Bible verse, like my my life Bible verse. I don't know if you guys had those, like your mission statement Bible oh verse was was one oh. Timothy yeah. four twelve, which was don't look let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. And I thought about it. <laughs> I thought about it all the fucking time. It was the thing that I thought about the most more than anything else. Was am I setting a, an example for people on how on what is the appropriate, good, perfect way to behave at all times? Um, so every single thing had to be measured and appropriate every response every statement 
Mm-hmm. Um, I And I felt compelled to make these like public Facebook statements at, when I was in college and things were happening so that people would know the appropriate way to respond. Oh, in God, these times, like I was, I was like, this is the appropriate way for, for white people to respond or like even things that now I look back and go, Oh God, like, no, <laughs> but, um, oh, geez. but I definitely felt this com- compulsion to, um, set an example for everyone around me. And I, and I wouldn't necessarily say that mm. was, some of that was definitely extrinsically encouraged, but a lot of that was just my own personality. Um, I, I watched growing up um, a lot of dynamics in our home that I was like, I'm not going to repeat that. And in doing so, completely swung to the other end of the spectrum. Um, so this, I- this idea of overcompensating <laughs> is extremely real for me. I do it on a regular basis. Ah. But uh, getting, to your, getting yep. to your question about feelings, um, I... I so the way that the inner critic has worked the most in my life is uh is basically just perpetual self gaslighting. Um so it's just like an ongoing journey of being like no, you're wrong. I do have a right to be angry about this. I do have a right to be sad about this like to my brain. Um and I talked about this on the first episode with uh Jamie about eights, but my first therapist was an eight. And she actually also saw my dad and we would go together every other week and then separate on the opposite weeks, um, which was very interesting. I was like, I was like 17 and my dad was like, let's go to, let's go to counseling together. Um, And at the time I was, I was (laughs) really trying to figure out like, how do I, I had spent a lot of time leaning heavily into the nine wing in order to just cope with reality. And I was trying to figure out, like, what does it look like to actually express and articulate some of this anger and resentment that I have, like, completely rumbled up inside me over 17 years of this. And she was basically like, say it all. Go for it. Fight about it. Like, <laughs> she, she was just like, do it. No. She was this, like, 65-year-old lady who was like, fight him. Um, <laughs> and so we would, we would sit there, we would sit in our therapy sessions together, me and my dad. And I would basically be like, you, you don't give me space to be an adult. You micromanage my every single life choice. You, you know, you do this, you do that. And then she would basically like help him manage his like response to that. And it was this like very intense process. Um, and I was pretty depressed for a while wow. and it was just a very, it was a hard time. But I also think that like, it was very disorienting to come to college and be like, oh, you all haven't been going to therapy with your dad for the last year. <laughs> this is, this is so weird. Just <laughs> me. <laughs> yep. And, <laughs> That's not an experience most people get to have. So Yeah. Wow. And so, Interesting. And so I think that it gave me a lot of tools. And, and honestly, having under the belt the ability to say, I spoke my truth to both of my parents before I left for college while I was still in their home, it gave me a lot of balls. Like, my, my balls were massive by the time I went to college because I was like, nothing can stop me. Wow. <laughs> like, I already dealt with that shit. Like, I, no like, fucking I am, I am on fire. And so I was just like, I was like, I was on, a, I was on a high, like, by the time I went to college and then went there and was like, trying to take down the system. <laughs> So it's just, yeah, I mean, (laughs) 
the ability to like sit in your feelings is learned and it's best learned in therapy, but you can, mm. you can learn all the time. And, and for some people, like for fours, maybe like the, the journeys to learn how to not wallow. But for me, it was about learning how to go to four. I had never been in a four space my whole life. I was so rooted in one. Mm-hmm. I was so rooted in the nine wing that I couldn't like, I couldn't break out of it. I had never been in seven. I had never been in four. And so learning to like move to those spaces was a huge journey for me. So I've only really ever been in the healthy side of four because by the time I was moving to four, I was already like, I already had a lot of those emotional tools that I didn't have when I was younger. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Can we talk about something real quick? Hold your thought. I don't want you to forget that. But I realized we did not answer the question (laughs) of the Twitter user at the beginning all the way. (laughs) Hannah touched on it lightly, and that's that's what made me think of it. I'm curious on Hannah's thoughts on this, uh, Hannah Evans, the difference between the one wing two and the one wing nine. Mm. Um, So Suzanne Stabile and I think Richard Roard teaches that you transition your wings and the, well, this is a Richard Rohr teaching, but um, you tra- you usually transition your wings um, when you're transitioning between the first and second half of life. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not like the, for people that don't know what that is, that's not an age-based thing. That's kind of like uh, an awaken, uh, an mm-hmm. awakening kind of thing. Like you have this pivoting moment in life where you kind of have a deeper sense of life's purpose and meaning and whatever. But anyway, I would say that um, in my missionary career, vocation, dipshittery, whatever you <laughs> want to call it, I was a one wing two. Oh. Um, and I uh, was totally different person than, uh, than I am now. So I was more, hmm. I was still very one, like still very perfectionist, but I was overtly and unhealthily caring hmm. for people. And, um, really bad boundaries with like, it was like the, like the, the disease of twos. I had it. Uh, it was like the two STD. I had it. Um, but now all twos stop listening right now. But then like when I hit, when shit hit the fan with the trauma and I began like doing a lot of inner work and, and self care therapy, all this stuff. Um, I'm discovering like in the last couple of months, I'm becoming a one wing nine and I fucking hate it. Like I'm now getting the nine disease. I'm like out of nowhere now, I'm like this big uh, procrastinator and indecisive person. And I'm like, I, I joked with Suzanne Stabile like uh, uh, back in March, like, is there conversion therapy for uh, me? Oh I love that. Because I'm like, I I just want to be a one-wing one, <laughs> and that's it. But anyways, None of this um, shit. Just like a one. None of this side treat, shit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's such a one thing to treat all the other numbers like they are a cancer. But um, love ya. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm really sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's probably good for you. You probably need to take some more fucking naps in your life, Corey. Jesus. <laughs> I just don't think ones need wings. <laughs> I think it's okay. Carry okay. on. What did you have something to say on that shape? I feel like you did. Um, 
So I have. You a, guys have... both separately told me that you were the only one wing nine that you knew. <laughs> and then I was yes. like, Corey, let me introduce you to Shafe. Here you go. It seems like everybody on Jesus Christ internet is a one wing nine. <laughs> They really have come out, haven't they? They have come out of nowhere. They have. They sure it's, have. I love it. But it's been like it. it's been like zero to like 180 in the last like three weeks. So I, I'm expecting it to kind of like even out after a while, and people will be like, "Oh no, maybe that's not me." But who knows? I can't wait to see all of the tweets like next week, all of the Millenniagram hashtag tweets about, I really enjoyed the one episode, but these were the things that I didn't oh think were my God. about it. I'm so looking forward to that. And I'm so looking forward to muting them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say it's been like a... I was just going to say it's been like a one wing nine pride parade on Twitter the last few weeks. It's been weird. <laughs> Blessed okay. Lady Lord. I love it. Okay, here's my thought about one wing nines versus one wing twos. Um I so Corey's still the only one wing nine I know personally. Um most of the other ones I know have a two wing or just not really a wing. Um and I think that um I need a little more two in my life. So I'm on like the other end of the extreme. Where I can just be like an ungracious ass, and like and like people like, (laughs) but like, but it's true. But like people will be like, I'm sad. I am having angst. I'm scared. I'm like, get the fuck over it. Like, (laughs) I I am. (laughs) I am perpetually. I'm perpetually in the mood of I don't have time for wallowing. Like that is my constant mood. How do you put up with me at all, (laughs) Shay? My entire personality is a wallow. I am just one large wallow. If I said what I thought, like, 75% of the time, you would all hate me. <laughs> yep, yep. Ones, ones, ones live in sacred annoyance, as yes. we talked about. Yes! Corey, I have sacred a question annoyance. for you. Okay. Do you do you feel like do you feel like part of the time you're sort of protecting people from you? Oh yeah, like I am always like, dear God, do I have a poker face on right now? Because I'm pretty sure I don't, and <laughs> I'm pretty sure they know that I've like checked out of this conversation, and they most times <laughs> they most times can see that, and I feel bad. Yeah, I feel like I feel like sometimes when I am in my deepest, most resentful, like uh, I can feel that the pot is going to start boiling over. Um, I start to isolate myself from people and attempts to protect them from an explosion that feels kind of inevitable in me. Like I like I like I don't always know how to how to dissipate the boiling inside. So instead, I just check out and like stop talking to people in the hopes that I won't lash out at them, that they're not going to be the one that gets stuck. Yes. And so like, but I, I haven't figured out how to manage the like boil down, it's like kind cool of, off part. It's if you want to talk like in superhero terms, it's kind of like the Hulk, right? Like it's kind of like, I don't want to, I yes. don't want to get green. Yeah. I don't want to blow up, <laughs> but if you piss me off, I'm about to blow up and then you won't get me down. Yes. Yes. Like, like people talk about it's really funny. Oh, go ahead. I think it's really funny that y'all are trying to like control all of your Hulk smash anger, whereas Ace would just, like, 
release. We'll it feel bad about it. Yes. Yes. So I was that was exactly what I was gonna say. So I was gonna I was gonna mention like eights are that this is the way the eights and ones are different because like eights will just be like blah like all out there and then it's over with which is great but with ones like there's this whole like power game of like will they won't they will they right. won't they like are they gonna blow up will they not what's gonna happen that, that kind of leads <laughs> into another point that i had if we had that drum roll uh, but um oh my god no but i'm serious like uh suzanne will even say the lady god of this show um <laughs> that of the anger triad want people feel the wrath of ones more than eights and nines um and so like yes mickey scott bay jones is my guru she is a one i'm not (laughs) i'm not Uh, sure of her wing i could ask her but um she actually created so she doesn't say safe space and create she talks about creating brave space and i think that is so essential Mm -hmm. for ones Mm -hmm. because ones oftentimes are so harsh and people don't know what to do with us. And I think that we could remove the mm-hmm. intimidation factor um, by finding ways to exist gently and creating brave space instead of a safe space. Cause people are yeah. oftentimes fake in safe spaces, but they're not fake in a brave space. And I think, I just think that us ones are usually so harsh that we don't give people the opportunity to be brave, to, exist gently and i think we oftentimes intimidate people because of our uh directness yeah so what does brave space mean to you like what what is the definition of that can i get an operational definition so this is from mickey scott bay jones she's a one and she it's just very simple it says together we will create brave space because there is no such thing as a safe space We exist in a real world. We all carry scars and we have all caused wounds. In this space, we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world. We amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. We call each other to more truth and love. We have the right to start somewhere and continue to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think we know. We will not be perfect. This space will not be perfect. It will not always be what we wish it to be, but... It will be our brave space together and we will work on it side by side. Hmm. And I think that's so essential for a wow. one because like I said, us ones, at least for me, I'm not going to speak for a shafe, but there are times when I'm at my peak with situations or people where I could really use a good disarming because I'm ready to torch somebody's mm-hmm. house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, Corey, but I find that like when I'm the most wound up is also when I feel the most scared. So, so Mm. I, so I can be ready to explode and I'm terrified of the fact that I feel like I'm in that place. And all I really want is for somebody to just like reach out, grab my hand, something tangible to be like, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Like, in, in that, like those like active disarming, like, like I remember having a conversation with Logan once where I was like, when I'm angry, I need you to reach toward me and not pull yes. away because like the reaching toward, Ooh. it's like, it's like being in the eye of the tornado. Like when you reach inside, there's, there's actually like, like the, the vulnerability. And so that's actually what disarms the tornado itself. Yes. Whoa. And here's the thing, like this current polarization climate we have going on, like this little moment we're having, uh, 
it's not a good one for ones because like I feel no, like it's not. I feel like threes are like, hey, I made a three point bullet point list of how we could fix this. And ones are like, <laughs> fuck everybody, like and your efforts. You guys all are failing. Here's how we're gonna do this right. And then it's like, oh shit, why did I put that on Facebook? And now I've caused a war. Yes. Great. <laughs> There's two reasons. So I have like so much, and I told Jamie this like in the last couple of episodes, I have so much respect for people who can do call outs well. I'm not one of them. I don't feel good about it when I'm typing. I don't feel good about it after I'm typing. I don't feel good about it at any stage in the process. It's important work. Church too is important work. Me too is important work. But Mm. I, when I do it, I go to such an unhealthy space that I can feel the emotional difference in me. Like the the energy that I'm carrying around with my with myself that I'm like I can't I I can only do that on a rare occasion and then I need space afterward and there's kind of a decompressing that has to happen so it's such a laborious process that it because it's so much energy to not go to that unhealthy space that I sometimes just like mm. leave it to other people who are so much better at it and don't have to do this whole thing yes. <laughs> before and after. It's really interesting too because I like I said I can drag the trolls back to their bridge. I'll feel bad about it. Oh yeah. But um like and you know this is a speaking enneagram terms um one's our desire at the end of the day when we think of essence is serenity. And so meditation mm-hmm. and mindfulness have helped me out greatly, but I look at people on the margins like I mean I identify with the LGBTQIA community but like when I say so that is technically on the margins but when I look at um, yeah. to think of other people like trans people or people of color, especially right. or the immigrant situation, I oftentimes like as a one, even though I crave serenity, I feel so bad for it because I'm like, is that a privileged position? Even because yes. I'm white. Oh my god, yes, it's a it's a curse. Hmm. Like even even when you do feel like, oh, I'm in a healthy mind space, I'm like, but it's a privilege to be here. Right. <laughs> it's like I it's, don't deserve this. Yes, it's constant. Like I like I like I like I've got to be there. I think there was somebody talking about I don't remember which number it was, but I really resonated with it about um how uncomfortable it also is to like feel okay and healthy because like you feel like there's something else that you should be doing. It's disconcerting. And um and I resonate with that a lot and in particular in terms of social justice, like I don't feel like I should feel rested or I should feel like serene or I should feel at peace in any way in any form at any time because there are people in the world who don't feel that way and so like if I'm not if I feel that way then I'm not meeting them in their place and so like there's a sense that I shouldn't be there yes (laughs) so I think that's an interesting point and I I totally get it um because I'm often there too um what what does it mean to you as a one, Corey, to think about um, achieving or arriving at a place of serenity as a place to recharge and get back out there. Like, Hmm. I feel like serenity is such an important, um, like, returning to yourself Mm -hmm. is so key in being able to give anything to others. And I think when we, um, I mean, obviously capitalism as a culture really requires like so much 
effort of us to be always doing, doing, mm-hmm. doing. And then when we're trying to fight capitalism or fight uh, white supremacy or fight um, hetero, uh, heteronormativity, <laughs> and, you know, all these things, um, it's so easy to, um, yeah, it's so easy to flagellate ourselves for not doing more when, <laughs> in fact, you know, we're probably not giving our best if we aren't able to you know, restart, recharge, take a day away and get back out there. So this kind of goes into the, to, I wrote out my affirmation for you cause I knew that you were going to ask and I wanted to make sure I had that perfect. <laughs> of course you um, had it prepared. I love you. So without saying that right now, cause you're not asking for that again, what <laughs> ones really crave is serenity. And that is the entire drive for our perfection because we fool ourselves by thinking that serenity is achieved through perfection, but perfection is an Mm. illusion and it isn't quite attainable the way that we think Mm. so. So uh, for me, meditation and mindfulness is a must for a one. If there's any chance at stabilization of the ego and naturalizing what we perceive or hope to be perfection. Um, Like, I have a question for you, Corey. Sure. About that. Sure. So, so I'm I'm curious about your meditation process. I have found both in myself and also in my dad that it's very, very hard to convince a one to meditate. <laughs> okay. It does not sound appealing at all. <laughs> sure. So, sure. <laughs> the idea of having to sit still and think about nothing for that long sounds like agonizing. I the, the closest I've gotten is yoga. And okay. and so that for me I'm like I can work with that. But I'm curious about how you get yourself to that space. Like okay. I just have never been able to get there successfully. <laughs> We're going to have to put a trigger warning on the front of the show if we want to answer that question. Um, so I think it doesn't matter what number you are on the Enneagram. Um, everybody, what they really want and the purpose of like the essence and the Enneagram is everybody wants to be comfortable in their own skin. Everybody would love to come home to themselves. Everybody would love to come out of hiding behind the mm. curtains and to be themselves and to be fully known. Uh, Tara Brock, a Buddhist teacher, she has a saying that um, yes. in order to be loved, like truly loved by your family, your friends, your peers, whatever, you have to be fully known. And most people aren't fully known and most people don't allow themselves to be fully known. So therefore, there's no mm-hmm. way for people to fully love them. Um, and wow. so as a one... Um, and meditation, this is where the trigger warning comes in. Um, I discovered meditation when I was at the end of my rope. And um, when you turn off the background music, you turn off all of the special effects in your life and you open the door to like, I th- okay, this is really interesting, but I think of people as houses. There, um, There's a mystic that she... Um, Wait, Corey, so do I. Okay. Yes. So there's a mystic and I'm really, I'm really annoyed that I'm forgetting her name right now, but she uh, has the, uh, this, she drew up this whole thing of the inner mansion, the inner, uh, there's like so many rooms and anything anyway. Um, and I often, when I think of people as houses, I often think of like, could you go to your front door 
and open the front door and genuinely take a look around the rooms in your house and be okay with it? Or would you be, would it cause a lot of anxiety? Would it cause a lot of distress? Um, And so when I found meditation, um, the teacher that I went to, it was such a visceral experience. It was the first time I had closed my eyes. Like right now, if you like close, like I'm not going to lead people into meditation, but like if you were to close your eyes right (laughs) now and I told you, just notice the sounds that are around you immediately you'll start to pick up external sounds and you'll start to find that you're centered and you haven't felt that way in quite some time if you're not used to meditation. And there, then shortly after what happens is that's when the thoughts start rolling in and thoughts and meditation we think of as clouds passing through the sky. So we are not our thoughts. We are not our emotions, but those things are just passing through the sky And our job in meditation is to let those things pass through the sky. But if you think of it as a house, um, your job in meditation is to look at the furniture and rearrange it if necessary so that you can be (laughs) cleaner, more functional, less anxiety, less depression, less sadness. And here's where the trigger warning comes in. I know I said at the beginning, but I tried to be safe. When I learned that I had this ability to go into my mind and go into all of these inner rooms of my inner mansion, I realized, or I I had this thought, I wonder if I could just shut my body off completely and be done with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that Mm -hmm. awakened in me this does like reality of like, I need to go back to therapy. <laughs> I need to deal with this. But um, I realized then like uh, meditation and mindfulness is so beautiful for one, if you can let it, but it's a double-edged sword for a one because you have to really be in a place to be able to evaluate all of your thoughts, all of your emotions, all of your grieving, your resentments, your, even the happy emotions, you have to be in a good place to um, find a way to end up with gratitude, find a way to end up with thankfulness. Um, but yeah, it's hard for a one, but for me, it saved my life. Hmm. Did I wow. answer your question? Yeah, I love that. It. Yeah, I'm still like soaking that in a little bit. Um, but I would like to hear about um, Can I just say one thing? You know, I can't go in. Yes. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I was at Nashville, had our Pride Weekend this weekend. And I, as with right. Anna, I am a member of like one of the, I wouldn't say leadership, but I'm on the le- the main volunteer team that makes that thing happen. And so I told Anna, I was like, use me as much as you want at Pride Weekend this weekend. And our booth, I would, and I'm not biased when I say this, but our booth, I think, was by far the most popular booth at Pride because we decided that we were going to. Uh, we use multiple words for it because some people aren't comfortable with some words, but you can say blessing or affirmation or whatever. But we had colors with glitter in them, and we would tell people about their. And oh, I loved this. We would tell people about their inherent worth, and I will get choked up oh, even thinking about it. But like, it's I love so. That. It's so sad that people, when you look them in the eyes and you tell them that they're inherently connected and worthy and, and that they have responsibility in this world, 
people, you can quickly see the curtains that they are hiding behind. You can quickly see the the rooms in their house that they're not comfortable with and they don't feel like they're worthy because mm-hmm. those rooms are maybe dirty or they haven't been dealt with or they haven't been touched. Um, but um, yeah, I, to me, it's just, ugh, yeah. I think people, wow. I think people need to. I love that. Yeah. That, that was like, honestly, I could watch, I watched every single Instagram story that I could find of people getting like anointed with color <laughs> and glitter and the, everyone in unison saying you are inherently connected. You are inherently responsible. You are inherently magical. Mm. And I was just like, I, I can't imagine like in that moment, how powerful that would be for me and and I feel like I'm, you know, more more self-aware than than other people, you know, maybe just walking around. I mean, it's it's my torture mm-hmm. um <laughs> to be self-aware all the time, but but like to hear that said um over other people was um, was huge. There was one and- mom that brought her, and I won't, this will be the last thing I, I will say about it, but there was this one mom, she brought up her little, I would say he was maybe six or seven years old. And um, she had, she was giving us this spiel of like how she brought him last year, but he was really confused at observing some of the things going on. And uh, this year he was really getting into it and um, really accepting of it, really like loving the celebration of pride. And so they started doing the colors and the affirmations and this little kid, even when Anna was like telling him all of these things, you can see in his little brain that's developing, um, that message was so impactful. And I just wanted to be like, whatever you do in your life, don't hide behind curtains. Like always be this way. Always, um, be comfortable with who you really are, you know? But um, mm. that was a good weekend. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I think there's one more question that I'd like to ask before I ask you your affirmation. And this one actually I was saving for the end um, that Melissa from Twitter asked us. But um, the question is, how do you hone your anger about the world for good? Oh shit! <laughs> I I will tell you honestly, I don't have a good answer. I hope Hannah does, but um, I <laughs> I I honest to God, I read the news and I get viscerally sick and angry, and um, like I want to use all the four letter words online. And, um, I, I, I don't have a good answer. I mean, especially now, like it's a, it, you, you can have picked a worse time in history to ask a one that question because <laughs> like I'm, I, well, I, maybe- I really love little kids to see this shit going on at the border and to see all of that stuff happening, like not to make this a political thing. I don't even care really, but, um, <laughs> I don't. Either. I, <laughs> I give zero. My, my, like if I read even two seconds of how those kids are getting treated, even like the parents that are committing suicide at the border because they're getting separated from their kids. And then you read that their kids are now uh, going to Betsy DeVos's, uh, well, some of them, like 60 of them, they're going to one of her little orphanages. Like it's fucking sick. And it makes me really angry. 
Um, and so my practice with that is like, I have to really shield myself from the news right now. And I have to only allow myself like five to 10 minutes a day of checking in because if not, I'm going to be raging mad and I can't live that way. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I completely, no, I completely understand. Um, Shafe, what's your take on that? <laughs> How do you hone your anger about the world for good? My first thought is just related to reactions from ones. Um, I will say that there have been several days where I didn't even read the news in the morning and I got in the shower and just started crying in the shower just thinking about it. And um, I think mm-hmm. that rather than shying away from that, I think what ones have to offer is their continued raw reaction and sensitivity to what's happening. It's going to take me decades to ever feel numb when I read this stuff. Like yeah. it would need to, ha- it would need yeah. to happen and a God forbid it does, but it would need to happen for a very long time or from, for me to ever see myself becoming numb to it. I always have a visceral reaction, which is why I, I'm really careful. I don't watch um, the police shootings of young black kids. Yeah. Um, I believe it. I believe them. I don't feel there's no need to to recreate that visceral, sickening physical response to what I'm seeing in order to be able to feel motivated to do something. Um, and I guess that would be my call. But I think that that would be my call to people who are not yeah. ones is is um, is remain in touch with your visceral physical response to these things and like don't become numb to it um don't just get over it and move on with your life like i and i i've seen several other ones like this on the air just horrified by the way that people have moved on from these kids to talk about like the first lady's hoodie or like I like I I can't move on I don't know how to move on like I like ones are fundamentally incapable of moving on (laughs) and oh yeah and in this in this case I think that um while agonizing in our current climate of America I also think that um it's more human than moving on to the next political topic or and I and I tried to without overwhelming myself, also kind of foster that reaction and and horror in me because I don't want to ever lose it. Um, And so I would say that is the first thing, like, like let yourself be angry, but don't like make yourself sick Mm. over it. (laughs) Um, And I'm not, and, and I, oh yeah, no, I, I go ahead, Corey. Well, I don't know if I should, I don't want to throw shade, but, like throw shade huh <laughs> throw shade literally always throw the shade this is uh god here we go okay so <laughs> suzanne <laughs> suzanne and i believe her like god look around the world it doesn't take a rocket scientist of the enneagram to figure it out suzanne thing says that uh, well it's actually a known enneagram thing i think i don't think it's her thing but that the majority of the population is sixes And you look at like the current status of the world. Like I look at my family, my close family who buys all this stuff, hook, line and sinker. And there's, I'm like, I could see the gaslighting from like a mile away. I could see the flames going to the sky. Like, and you guys are worshiping it. Like it's God. Um, But like, this is like 
sixes have some real work to do. I'm just saying, like, we've got to figure, we got to fix this. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of leads me into, it seems like, oh, go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm done. I don't need to go further. I'm sorry for all the sixes listening. And actually, you know what? The sixes probably aren't listening because the sixes don't even show up for the Enneagram conference because they're not interested. But anyway. (laughs) I have lots of sixes on my timeline. I'm going to be honest. They're very concerned. I'm concerned about Um, their behavior. They're very anxious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so. I'm not. Okay, so that leads into <laughs> my second thought, which is that um, I I think that like ones need to channel that like excellent doing energy and make that anger into something constructive. So like when I when I was really just pissed off, fucking mad about Ferguson, I sat down and was like, "What am I gonna do? What like how am I gonna not be a part of this?" How am I going to be actively anti-racist? Like, what am I going to do to, like, stop this shit in every single way that I can? So I made my parents my job. I made my education my job. I took classes, at, offered at Taylor. I followed a bunch of people on Twitter. Like, I just started being, like, like my like, I am responsible for the people around me. And so, like, I'm not going to put up with their bullshit when they are a part of this because that makes me a part of it because we're all connected. Mm. So we're all responsible for each other. And so I know that's complicated in the ex-evangelical community because a lot of us aren't connected to our parents anymore for good reasons a lot of the time. But I think that then that needs to be channeled into the community. Like we are responsible for each other and for each other's actions and each other's words. And we've got to do our part to like make the world better like if you if like if you care about the world being better then like i i think all the time about that emma watson quote she's got to be a one i don't know but she's got this (laughs) statement at her he for she speech where she says if not me who and if not now when and i think about that all the fucking time if not me who and if not now when like i am the answer and now is the time and so i am constantly thinking about like like the people around me that I need to manage their bullshit and I need to make sure that they're not causing trouble for other people (laughs) of color. I can't tell you how many stupid white boys I know that I've had to be like, listen, dude, like, like come to me if you have questions and stop like shitting on this person and their lives. Okay. And like, that's, that's, I just like, I think that's our job. And so that's where my doing comes in. I, I want to be practical about it. And so I try my hardest to do that. Yes. Mm. And you know what? If that happens again on Twitter, I have found a really good Twitter handle that takes care of the mess for people of color. You just tag at no white nonsense and just say, hey, come, yes. come pick up your cousin. Follow- yes. I follow them. I follow Stop, them on Twitter really? and I follow them on Twitter and Facebook. And at one point I was volunteering for them on Facebook uh, and it's it's the best. They're awesome. Yeah. I love them. Everyone should follow them. There was a white guy uh, harassing a friend of color of mine, and I got in there and tried to reason with this guy. He was just not having it. He wanted to fight with my friend of color about him, him calling the United States inherently racist. And so he, uh-huh. I found out it because he tagged the, the, <laughs> he tagged at no white nonsense or however you say it, and they came on and just took care of business. And I was like, man, this was lovely. Oh, my God. And it... <laughs> 
Anyway, and they're they're led by white people. They're trained. They're white people trained to talk to other white people. Yeah. Wow, it's amazing. May there be more of them. But Hannah, that I'm is, the, that I'm is the holy here. work. <laughs> that is. Round up your stupid white cousins <laughs> um, and Twitter followers as needed. Um, what I love about ones is it seems like y'all have that energy to um, not normalize the bullshit that's going on in the world. Um, I think a lot of us as a coping mechanism really try to maybe not even move on, but just like mute it. And it is hard to recharge when you are constantly bombarded with, um, with horror essentially. But um, I love that. I love that you both have that energy to like not normalize what we are experiencing now, not normalizing Trump, not, I mean, white supremacy is already normalized in this fucking country, so we have to unnormalize it. But um, I really appreciate that. Um, if And it makes me, it, it, it really fuels me um, to write action, to see ones being like, um, absolutely the fuck not. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, absolutely the fuck not. <laughs> That's kind of a one thing, but like the, like the, the hard part about being a one and with all of this, it's kind of like for us to get involved, it's like damn if you do and damned if you don't. So it's like either way, it's not going to be pretty like for us. <laughs> well, you're not going to be perfect about it. No. Yeah. Right. But I'm saying like internally, that's how we're going to be. Like we're going to, it's damn damned if you do. And, Extra damned if you don't, because <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, um, I think the time has come, Corey, for your affirmation. What are your parting words for us? I would just say, let go of who you think you're supposed to be or what your life is supposed to look like and embrace what is, because mm. it's very turbulent to navigate, but it's also ultimately the most life-giving road that will lead you closer to essence. And uh, that's just been very pivotable, pivotable in my own life. <laughs> pivotable. Um, pivotal. Is that a word? That's a good- I love that. Um, pivotal is. Pivotable is not, but. Yeah. I just did a George Bush and made my own word. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. But for real, a- like. I believe in. It's a good benediction, yeah. Corey. I Thank feel you. I would say out of mm. the three episodes that I've had the privilege of being on this, that was the moment that I felt the most emotional just now. I'm yeah, th- I, I, I was emotional <laughs> thinking about it because I, I I actually was thinking like what I, what do I wish somebody would have told me when I was like 20 years old, you know? That's probably what I wish somebody would have told me. Mm. And I'm just so, and I think so many of us are so haunted by what we think our lives are supposed to look like, how we're supposed to present to people, what we should look like, what we should be doing. Like we have this very concrete image for ourselves. And so when other people don't perceive it that way or aren't voicing that back to you, like, or you're just so like crippled by your own vision that you like can't allow yourself to be a whole person, I think that. Yeah, I think the words I need are allow yourself to allow things to be what is. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm. Hannah uh posh, I don't want to uh plug my own show, but like uh, <laughs> it, 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 it ties into all of this. 
No, it ties into all of this. Like that's the driving purpose of why I started the show that I did is because I want to deprogram this culture of calling. And I ultimately think like that's what gets us in trouble when you think of these like people as houses or the uh, idea of the Enneagram trying to lead you back to essence. Like this shit gets in the way and it's Mm -hmm. stuff that doesn't matter uh, because we all do have inherent worth and we all do have all of these gifts uh, as the Enneagram gives us at our essence, but they're only found if we let go of all this shit that we dream up and like try to attain. Mm. But anyway, I'm done. Damn. A word. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm. All right. Well, Corey, it has been wonderful to talk to you, to soak in the beautiful double one essence going on here. It's been great. Um, Thank you for joining us. How was your one sandwich? Because you do go to one in some way. I do. Which direction? I do. Health? I I integrate to one. Of course you do. I integrate to one. It's a healthy number. (laughs) So (laughs) it has been, it has been very, um, for me, integration to one has been huge in terms of like turning all of my, um, all of my inherent for creativity into right action. Like, mm-hmm. okay, what mm-hmm. what am I going to do about this? What am I what am I going to create? What am I going to um, produce that will be of good in the world? And I'm hoping that this is a little piece of that. I wish I could say the same about us going to your number, but it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> although I although I will say when I go to four. It is, in my in my lived experience, been very very good for me. I get the chance to reevaluate. Mm. I get the opportunity to relinquish these restrictions. I feel like I live in a straitjacket, and fours sort of are like, "Hey, it's no big deal if you're not perfect." Like that's true. That's real. Like it's not a huge thing, and I feel (laughs) I feel the straitjacket kind of like melt off of me for a little while, and I feel myself like softer. Everything is shades of gray. <laughs> I feel softer. I, I, go- feel more, I feel more pliable. I feel more responsive. I feel more vulnerable. I feel more feel less shielded and crunchy. I don't know. I feel crunchy. Is that a weird? Is that a weird self description? Crunchy. No. Crunchy. I go straight to my. <laughs> I go straight. Starched. Yes. I go straight to my dashboard <laughs> confessional playlist and just like emo it out. <laughs> Promise to share that one with me next time I'm in Nashville, Corey. Will do. Okay. <laughs> well, this has been an amazing first three episodes of Millenniagram. We have covered eights, nines, and ones. The intuitive triad come through. Yes. Gut people. Gut. <laughs> I have been literally blown away by... Um, Substitute teacher, Shafe being here. Honestly, I could not have done these first three episodes without Aww. you, Shafe. Thank you. Please come back. We have much to yeah, discuss. I'm, ranging from Disney princesses to instinctual variants. Yeah, I'm hella ready. So just give me a call. <laughs> it's on. You're on. Perfect. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And it was so much fun. And this episode really uh, took me to church. I feel blessed. Hashtag blessed. Aww. Mm-hmm.
Buy this. Buy this. Yeah. Hashtag Catch West. her in the hashtag, people. She all up in it. This is a one moment right here. <laughs> <laughs> Can we all hold hands? I would. Oh I, yes. Cool. Yeah. Group hug. <laughs> this is like a. This is better than a queer eye episode. No, it's not. <laughs> Don't say that. Back religion. My baby, Anthony. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. Yes, Corey, I'm so glad that you were here. I mean, you're always here, but it was good to have you on the mic today. And literally, everybody go look up failed missionary. Depend. I mean, whatever your experience is with missions, you will be um, astounded, challenged, and entertained and enlightened. Mm. Do the thing. Well, I hope y'all were as emotionally sandblasted by that as I just was. I want to tell you where to find Corey on the socials. You can find him at Where Is Corey Now on Twitter. You can also find his amazing podcast, Failed Missionary, at Fail Missionary on Twitter. And as always, my glorious Millenniagram substitute teacher, Hannah Schaefer Evans, The Schaefer. You can find at Hannah Schaefer, that's S C H A E F, on Twitter. And I also want to put a little plug in here just real quick. Um, I sell mugs. (laughs) I made a bunch of Millenniagram mugs on a total whim last Christmas. People love them. Um, So if you would like one, go to Zazzle.com. That's Z-A-Z-Z-L-E.com slash Millenniagram. And we've got wing mugs galore. We got the OG originals. Just go look. See what suits your fancy. Buy one for the crush. I don't know. You do you. We'll see you next time. This has been Millenniagram. I'm Garbage Oprah and I'm fucking out.